0: So I was the first kid in my family to go away to college. I was the first kid in my family to move all the way across the coast to work in New York. And it was because I had a continued sense that I wanted a bigger life and I wanted to do more. But I think I coupled it with this awareness and looking and watching and seeing what do people I respected and admire do? How are they getting ahead? What is making a difference here? What do I like? It's that self-questioning all the time that, again, is really at the heart of the mindset we talk about in Career Forward.
1: Hey, friends, welcome to The Good Life with Michelle Lamoureux, a show for women in midlife who want to live happier, healthier, and more meaningful lives. I'm your host, Michelle Lamoureux, a self-love coach and the author of Design a Life You Love, and together we're going to be doing just that. Each week I bring on world-class experts, best-selling authors, leading entrepreneurs, and also do solo casts with the intention of inviting you to get connected to what you really desire from your life. This show is produced with love every week. There's inspiration and actionable tips in every episode because I wanna see women playing a starring role in their lives instead of living on the sidelines. Be sure to join the Good Life Community Newsletter over at thegoodlifecoach.com for more inspiration and tips to live your best midlife. And make sure you're following the show on your favorite podcast player. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey, friends, and welcome back. Today, joining us are two superstars in the world of work. Joining us are Grace Puma, who is the former COO of PepsiCo, and Christiana Smith-Shee, who is Nike's former president of Consumer Direct. They are the co-authors of Career Forward, which is a groundbreaking, empowering guide for women that shows how to prioritize a career path, build professional value, and enjoy a full-life both in and out of the workplace, and that's what we're going to be talking about today on the show. Now, if you're an entrepreneur like me, I promise that what we're discussing today is applicable to you as well. Grace is the former executive vice president and COO of PepsiCo, and before that, held senior positions with United Airlines, Kraft Foods, Motorola, and Gillette. She's also a board member of both Organon & Co. and Target. And she's been ranked on the most powerful Latina list by Fortune magazine. Christiana is the former president of Nike's consumer direct division, where she led the company's global retail and e-commerce business. And before that, she was a senior partner at McKinsey & Co. Christiana has been named one of the most influential corporate directors by Women, Inc., and she currently leads Lovejoy Advisors, which is focused on digitally transforming consumer and retail businesses. So much to learn from these two incredible, accomplished women. I'm so excited to share their wisdom with you today on the show. Welcome, Christiana and Grace. I'm so happy to have you on today. Great to be here, Michelle. Yes, very nice. So, Career Forward. This is the book that I needed when I started my (laughs) career. And so thank you for writing it, even uh, for those women out there who are just starting their careers or they're even, you know, mid-path and need to course correct, uh this is going to help so many people. Um and as an entrepreneur, I found it also very useful. So congratulations for getting it out in the world. Oh, thank Thanks you so much. Um so I'm going to read a part of your book as a place to kick it off and we can jump in from there. But um you you wrote and I feel like this will be setting the foundation for our conversation. We believe in taking the long view of your career, making decisions based not just on the immediate horizon, but from the perspective of what's going to give you future opportunities, what will boost your earning power, how you can maximize the value of what you do now, and for those who want it, how you can reach top leadership levels. Some of our guidance might be surprising or go against what you've heard about achieving career success but we didn't get to where we are today by doing what everyone else did. Instead of a single path to the top, there's a multitude of options. This is where I want to begin. Tell us why did why did you write this book? Why now? This I feel like
0: paints a little bit of the picture. I well I'll start and Grace Grace can add. We that that excerpt Michelle is so meaningful to us because um it really says everything about our thinking and our goal with what we've done with the book. It was coming out of the fact that both of us were already, you know, getting toward the end of let's call it our formal careers and also um, had children who were getting to the, you know, early thirties and kind of that career stage. And we both got asked a lot to speak to women's groups. And the question that we would get all the time was how can I be you? Or how can I get to where you are? Or how can I have your career? And you can only say so much in a one-hour or thirty-minute talk. And I think our goal was to to lay it out, as you said, like the advice we wish we'd had that we really learned the hard way.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we'll get into maybe some of the hard (laughs) way. But Grace, (laughs) uh, tell us, tell us, please, please add to this. Yes.
2: You know, I I I think it was. In addition, I think I'd say it was definitely rooted in transferring knowledge, you know, and, you know, we did start with our own adult children, if you want to call it that. They're on their own career journeys. We also realized that one of the powers of this book is that Christiana and I got to those top roles through different paths. And there's an important message here about people defining whatever their path is aligned with their aspirations and realizing that they can apply these tools and techniques and learnings to achieve, you know, their greatest version of their life and their career. So that's kind of what we decided that there was a lot of credibility and usefulness in this book. And that's why we wrote it.
1: Well, thank you for writing it. I can't wait for it to be out in the world and to see the reaction. I think there's going to be a lot of conversations and it'll be fun to see what it opens up for both of you too. Mm -hmm. Um, tell us just, we'll take a quick step back. How did
0: you two get connected? So we both joined the same public company board on the same day. And that's pretty unusual to have two women join a board at the same time. Although this board in particular was, was almost half women and it was such a rarity. And I think it really led us to, you know, be able to spend more time together and really kind of pay attention to what each other's contributions were. And as I watched Grace, I just thought she's so smart and so with it and so knowledgeable. And I really respected her. And I think over time, that respect really turned into mutual friendship and eventually turned into us having drinks together on Fisherman's Wharf after a board <laughs> meeting. And, you know, the rest is history. Honestly, those those um, peach mimosas pretty much took us to the next level. <laughs>
1: And how many years have you been friends and colleagues? Well, colleagues to the board? Seven, seven years now.
0: Seven years now. And I, funny, I don't know if we'll talk later about board, you know, joining boards and things, because I know it's something a lot of women now are are absolutely um, intrigued by. Yes. But I always say to my friends, the thing that will surprise you when you join boards is you may meet a future best friend because literally that's, that's what it was for us.
1: That's so beautiful. I love that. And I think women are always seeking out those meaningful relationships, whether through mentorship or just having things in common with people you work with, you spend so much time, um, but it's not an always an easy path. And sometimes women don't actually make it Easy for one another within the workplace, and we'll we'll touch upon that in a bit. But let's start with a career forward mindset. What does it mean to adopt that? How is this different than some of the the books out there on career development?
2: So the career forward mindset is really important because what we're really talking about is having a long term view of your career. And this means you're not just looking at the job that you're in today or the fact that you're getting great performance reviews. You're thinking about how to cultivate the capabilities and the learnings and the achievements to be able to reach your aspirations long term. And the book provides a framework of really specific strategies and techniques and tools that the reader can use to really ensure that they're in that mindset um, as they progress through what's going to end up being decades of a career journey.
1: Absolutely. I think yeah. it's so important. Please, Christiana.
0: And I'd add to that, I I think that long-term view doesn't mean That you shouldn't also focus on doing well in your current job. So one of the things that we try to explain when we talk about it is it's a little bit bifocal almost, you know, that just just thought about that. We believe that part of the career forward mindset is being willing and, and passionate about being good at what you're doing.
1: Yes.
0: And being good at what you're doing, honestly creates what we call professional equity that you can then invest in yourself later and invest in your career. We can we can unpack that later if you want to. But that combination of recognizing that we want you to keep your eye on the longer term and not just this job, this pay raise, this title. Yes. But we also encourage you to be really good and deliver performance at what you're doing today. And it's that combination, I think, that is the the kind of long-term career forward mindset.
1: I love it. I love it. And I think, you know, you mentioned in the book how so many of us go to college for one major and there's a certain percentage, you can remind me what that was, maybe upwards of 50% who don't actually go and pursue a career in that field, and I think we're checking boxes along the way without actually thinking about how our lives and what we want fit into that. Especially when we're younger, it's you're right. It's about the job and the raise, and I need to pay back, you know, these debt, this debt, or whatever.
0: You're 100 right, Michelle. Go ahead, Grace.
2: No, I was just going to say the um, and when you do operate that way, one of the things we talk about in this book is is the concept of you start to view yourself as a growth stock. And we use that term because when you think about companies that are growth stocks, they're actually investing in learning capability, future state capability that's going to drive shareholder value. And when you think about applying that to yourself, somebody who believes in the career forward mindset is going to say, you know what, I'm going to look at myself and my career as a growth stock, meaning I'm going to invest. And I'm also going to look for my company to invest in building capabilities that benefit my company and benefit my readiness for the next steps or the next growth opportunities I want to take to reach my aspirations. So it's a, you know, it is the, the foundation of doing well in your job is exactly that. It's table stakes. A growth stock isn't looking at what they delivered this quarter. They're looking at how do they anticipate what's going to be the next set of step change capability to be able to further achieve and further con- contribute.
1: Okay. Did you want to say something on that, Christiana?
0: No, I, I think what Grace just mentioned is absolutely core to it. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an unlock for a lot of people we talk to because they understand the concept of a growth stock when they're thinking about investing, like Grace said, so Apple or you know uh, Tesla or whatever, but they've never thought about themselves as something like that. And we always say one of the things about growth stocks is people want to put their money into them.
1: Mm. If
0: you think of yourself as a growth stock, others will want to sponsor you. They will want to mentor you. They will create opportunity for you. And that's really powerful because you cannot do everything by yourself. You need a network. And one of the ways that you can attract a strong network of supporters is with this kind of mindset.
1: I love it. I love it. And I think people can get their minds around that kind of idea and that that thinking and once they do that, then it's, it it changes the game for them. It's so Mm -hmm. simple, but so powerful, which is so wonderful. Um, Talk to us about finding our cardinal direction. So what does that mean? And why, why is this important? I feel like it's continuing where we we just started here.
0: So I think people understand the cardinal direction concept, like, um, like anything on your GPS, right? So it's about navigation. We always say you wouldn't get in the car and start driving if you didn't know where you were trying to go yes but just like gps as conditions change on the road your route can change but your goal your destination doesn't so guard cardinal direction is really your long-term career direction where do you want to go excuse me what do you want to do what do you want to achieve what impact do you want to have what people do you want to work with it also draws on your passion and your values and your principles right so it's all those things And in the book, we actually have a kind of a a worksheet or an exercise that we recommend you go through at least once a year to really check on your cardinal direction and how it's evolved. But the important thing is that word evolve. We recognize life happens, people's family circumstances change, their geography changes, what they want in life changes. So we actually suggest that even though you're setting your cardinal direction, that you revisit every year as part of just a career discipline.
1: Yeah. Grace, can you give us an example from your life? Because were you aware of this at the time? Because obviously when you came together to write this book, you were reflecting on the things right. that worked and things that you would have changed. Right. So I'm just curious. I think stories sure. help people understand a concept more, you know, personally. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I, I definitely can. Um, if you think about it, you know, when you think about those components that we talked about, your cardinal direction might shift at different stages of life. And they might shift as you develop different passions or different capabilities that you enjoy um, using in your in your work. So for me, as an example, I love transformations. My cardinal direction early in my career became about being able to transform organizations and companies. Um, to a higher performance. So when I started to shape the capabilities to where I was successful in that, I looked and cultivated opportunities at a lot of different companies and in different industries to be able to apply that while gaining, um, you know, career equity and, and you know, and uh, new opportunities. So I even went as far as to go work for an airline for three months, for three years, And in that case, you know, thinking about cardinal direction, there were two factors in play. One was, this was the largest uh, transformation coming from a very stable food company that I was taking. And then, of course, the financial crisis hit and our stock went down to the price of a latte. And I thought, what am I doing? But in the end, it was a tremendous opportunity. And I spent the, you know, the three years that I was there helping being part of the team to transform it. I had such close working relationships with the team, the lean management team that was leading through this, that it was just an incredibly rewarding professional and personal um, experience. But also, it's also about your personal life. Okay. My cardinal direction at that point was not to move from Chicago. Yeah. Okay. It was part of the combination of what was going to drive satisfaction in my life because my daughter was in high school. And so again, when you're clear about your boundaries, your guardrails, your passions, you're able to shape decisions at different points of your career, staying true while still achieving and still progressing. Um, you know, in your life and in your job. So that's an example of you know, in, at one point in time, how it played out for me.
1: I love it.
0: Um, well, and I'll give. Can I give you one more, Michelle? Please. Just because yeah. I no stories. Stay with
1: people. I think this is great. Please
0: and and this concept i think can be a little hard for people to get their head around so in my case i know that you talk a lot about what women can do in midlife and the power of basically you know kind of trying new things and reinventing so my cardinal direction had evolved along the course of my career and led me to stay for 24 years at a management consulting firm because i realized what i loved was working with people solving tough problems doing things that were analytically based and also helping. Just helping people, right? And as an advisor, that's a big part of what you're actually doing is coaching and counseling, etc. And over time, what I realized is I also liked running things. The one thing you give up when you are in management consulting is you don't get to run things. You don't actually get to see what happens after you make the recommendations and work on the project. So I decided when I retired from consulting, and I think I was 50 at the time, the next day, literally, I started as a COO at Nike. Wow. I was the COO for their direct-to-consumer business. It was a huge risk, but it was aligned with my cardinal direction because at Nike, I was still working with people I loved, in an industry I loved, solving tough problems, all of those things. And I was going to be leading a business that was putting numbers on the board, that hired and, and, and owned thousands of people because we were retail and was part of something bigger than myself. And that's what I did for the next seven years as the second act in my career. And yet to me, it felt very consistent with my cardinal direction. It was still in an industry that I had been serving. Nike had been a client of mine for 10 years before that. And it utilized all the skills that I'd built to that point. But I added something even at that stage of my life, because I felt like things have evolved.
1: Mm, this is so good. This is so good. Uh, yeah, the stories are great cuz I think people, you know, can think about their own lives and see where maybe something's calling them and either fear or something else is blocking or it's, it's not following the the path that they think that they should be on because not enough people are taking that step back. I'm going to jump to compensation for a second cuz one of the things when I was reading in the book that I thought, "Oh gosh, I really wish I knew more about this back then." Um, was in regard to compensation. And you write that over the course of her lifetime, the average woman worker loses more than $530,000 because of the gender wage gap. And the average college-educated woman loses even more nearly $800,000. I think hearing that is a wake-up call when I read those numbers. So let's talk about why is it critical for women to know their worth, both in terms of dollars and influence, and what can you strategically offer them in terms of how to negotiate their worth?
2: You know, I'll I'll start with that. I think um, what's also important, and certainly um, we put those statistics in there to talk about, you can't catch up financially if you start from behind the curve on having your compensation at the right level for your work but what's also important is that there's a lot of information out there that says you actually will it direct how you're compensated directly correlates to how you feel about your work and how you feel about your contributions to the company so there's the emotional aspect of loving your work staying energized continuing to contribute at high performance and the financial aspect of you really have to ensure that you're competitively paid because you don't want to fall behind and give up what can be a very sizable amount of wealth over the career.
0: Yes. I think we also were struck, both of us as, as managers, as, as leaders of teams, that when we would do the annual reviews, that more than half the time, the men that we supervised or, or led would push back a bit or challenge or, or ask questions about their comp and the women would take the number. And I reflect on my career and I was similar to that earlier in my career because I hadn't learned this, this construct. And what we're trying to say is we're also trying to normalize the idea that it is okay, again, to that spirit of driving your own career. It's okay to stay in the driver's seat of your compensation too, in the following sense, know what you're worth, take advantage of the internet and all the data that's available now that tells you what a position like yours is currently earning. And then keep on top of what your current scope and responsibility is so that as it evolves, if it truly merits an increase, you've got the data and the evidence to back it up. The last piece of that, the secret sauce piece though, is you got to pick your moment. Yes. You got to pick your moment. So my niece who's in her 30s, she's a senior manager, her company just went through a restructuring. They laid off a lot of people, unfortunately. Tech yeah. happening all over. Yeah,
1: I'm hearing that. As yeah. a result,
0: she was asked to take on another team. So now her responsibilities have literally doubled, and she's going to increase the scope of what she's doing. So I, in the midst of all this chaos, I said to her, the thing to do is note right now, what are these increased responsibilities and headcount." and functions that you're taking on. And then when the time is right, and you're going to have to pick that, when you speak to your manager about your compensation, be ready with the facts and figures to say, I was hired at this role. Over time, I've added the following. I benchmarked externally. It looks like that is an additional seven, 8% or whatever income. I'd like to ask you to take a look and do a salary review she had not thought of that and i said of course when your company's laying people off is not the time so read the room read the moment but make sure that you write this down and you get your facts lined up because there is a time when you very much should bring that up
2: yeah and i think it's also ties directly to what we talk about in the book of professional equity it's a lot easier to have these conversations when you are grounded in the fact that you're contributing and that the company sees it the same way that you're contributing. And by the way, a lot of these situations happen during transformations or or transitions that companies are going through. It might be a downturn, economic downturn, Mm -hmm. or it might be a, a struggle that a particular company is going through. So it's really important to maintain your professional equity, stay focused, continue to perform during times that are challenging in your company, and then have the conversation at the right time about ensuring that that value is um fairly compensated and usually if you do it with that set of um of approach uh it you know it plays out appropriately for both the company and for your for the individual
1: absolutely um let's talk about mentorship it's something you touch upon in the book and i think i wished i had a mentor so when i was hired directly by the founder of a law firm at the age of 27 i reported directly to him but I got to run my own team and I had complete autonomy. So it was almost like having my own marketing group within another organization, but we were all one. Um, But I learned from him by example. I didn't have somebody like you just mentioned guiding your niece. I think we can all benefit from that. And and in fairness too, I will say, because I know my friend Susan Bear listens, she's about nine years older than me. I met her when I was 18 years old, transitioning from, Summer into a summer job into college. And I worked with her over that summer. Um, and we've become friends. So she took an interest in me, kept in touch with me, and has guided me both personally and professionally at different times. Um, and I and I'm so grateful for her to the point that I know she listens to my podcast. Here we are, yeah. however many years later. Um, but I, I know a lot of women still want that. I'm 53. I just turned fifty three I still want a mentor. How to, talk to us about this and the importance of that, and especially when you want to advance into leadership or become get on a board or just grow within your organization
0: yeah, I, well, first of all, we completely agree with the importance, and we also agree with the note that as you get more senior in your career, you know the pool gets a little thinner because if you think of your mentors just as people more senior to you, there's going to be fewer and fewer. We would just say that mentors and sponsors are really important. And I, and I used that word earlier in, in this discussion. I'll use it again. Because people think of mentors as something that they can go find, something that can get assigned to them, something yes. that um, they deserve as part of the coaching programs at their company. And mentors are people very often who you have a relationship with where they can give you advice. That's important. And and we would just say that most the, where you need mentoring relationships is with people you actually are going to work with or be engaged with because there's a chemistry thing there that's really important. And they need to see you and know what you're doing to really be able to mentor you effectively. Sponsoring takes it another step further. Sponsors are people who are willing to put skin in the game for you, who are actually willing to extend part of their credibility, part of their network, part of their opportunity set, part of their scope to you. And I had a sponsor at McKinsey for most of my career, who unfortunately recently passed away. I I acknowledge him in the book, Mr. Bill
1: Yes,
0: And he was not always nice to me. I used to tell him I was in the school of Bill, which was always good, but not always nice. (laughs) And um, he was a senior partner and he um, nudged me. He pushed me. He spoke up for me in rooms when I wasn't there so that other people remembered me and thought of me at different times. He went to the mat for me when I was doing strange things like trying to go part-time and still get elected as a partner. I mean, we are talking about probably 25 years of him putting himself on the line for me. What I did for Bill in exchange, because let's remember that this is a two-way street, is I delivered. I did exactly what Grace and I've been talking about. I was good at what I did. If he took a chance and recommended me for something, I made sure that I did well on that particular project or with that particular person because I wanted him to feel like he was getting a good ROI on the investment he was making in me.
2: Yeah, I think, um, I think it's really important for people to realize that sponsors, um, you know, they're cultivated out of performance. They're cultivated out of potential that people see in you. Um, I mean, these are not your mom. You know, they have unconditional love for you, and no matter what, you know, you're wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) We're all moms. So we know we love our children unbelievably, but they're not your moms. And yet, it's so important also a different aspect of this conversation is be aware because if you over the long term career, you know, you're likely to find times where you've cultivated and have the the um, power, if you would, and the benefit of a sponsor behind you. And they may leave. I had that happen or suddenly my sponsors all left the company at very high levels. And, and then you're like, oh, OK, it's not that your equity isn't known, but you have to rethink and recultivate that. So sponsors are incredibly important, but they come through. Um, not politics. They come through hard work, they come through contribution, and they come through the type of things that we're talking about around professional equity. Spons- uh, mentors, on the other hand, you know, and Christiana spoke very well to it. The only aspect I would add is, you know, it's it can be, I have found, it's at a given time, a specific need or benefit that somebody or capability that somebody has Mentors, you know, in some cases, and this is where you, you know, I used to turn to my dad. He was incredibly, incredibly wise in business. And I would sometimes talk to him about it. Often it was a peer. Uh, Sometimes it was a subordinate who worked for me, that was a very close partner that could see something or talk about something or maybe just share their perspective from where they were. Um, So. Mentors are typically people that have a particular viewpoint or a particular capability, and it may directly relate to a situation that you're managing through or a, a piece of work that you're you're working through. Um, so be specific. What what we don't encourage people to do is, and we've all experienced this, is say, hey, you know, you're a very highly established, respected person in the organization. Can you mentor me? Well, yeah. for what? I mean, what do you need? How does it fit? I may or may not be the right person for it. Um, so it's a, it's a longer conversation, but we do agree with you. Incredibly important. And I also think, and I'll close with this point, it's a really good way to give back. Christiana said this, part of the reason we wrote this book is because, and she always uses this example. If, if somebody finished a meeting and you walked into the ladies room, it's a kind of conversation. Somebody say, Hey, did you see what just happened there? you know what, let me give you a little perspective. It's a it's a trusting conversation. It's it's information that we're trying to transfer those learnings and those capabilities just as if we were sitting there, you know, next to you.
1: Absolutely. And truthfully, your book is serving as a mentor. For now, whoever picks it up and reads, because I, I think podcast books, as an entrepreneur, I've hired mentor coaches because you don't have, you know, an organization where you can find that. So, but your book will serve as a mentor to so many women um, who pick it up and read it and can see themselves or a possible future. So what a legacy you're leaving, even if that wasn't the intention. I'm just realizing it as we're talking that you've you've actually done that (laughs) through the book, which is fantastic.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. That means a lot.
1: It's yeah, true it though. It's true. Because yeah. like I said, when I was reading it, I was like, oh gosh, I wish I knew that. Or wow, this is so helpful to know even now. So um, let's talk about the personal branding piece. Cause I loved this. Um, wh- talk specifically about how you see a personal brand and how- why it's important um, to cultivate yours or- and to understand, I'm going to tag it with something else you talked about, which is uh, like the North star, knowing what sets you apart. Cause I also loved this part of it. It was around the same time in the book that I, yeah,
0: read that. Well, you can tell a lot of a career forward mindset is about self-knowledge and it is about introspection and it is about understanding what makes you, you, right. And so you just touched on it, Michelle, when you talked about, you know, what sets you apart. First, I'll talk about the importance of a professional brand. Then I'm going to talk to how do you sort of discover the essence of your own, right? So the, the the notion of professional branding for a lot of women, we definitely notice they get a little squirmy when we talk about that because it feels commercial. It potentially sounds promotional, etc. We want to say professional brand because we want to keep it anchored in. This is okay. And it's in the professional context. The basic notion is if people don't know who you are and what you stand for, how are they ever going to help you? How are they ever going to reach out to you? How are they ever going to support you to come back to that sponsorship and mentorship, right? So again, we want you to own it with that career forward mindset. We want you to actually earlier than you think you should in your career to actually take time every year. We're big fans of like an annual reflection moment, but to take time and say, what do I stand for? What do I love? What am I building a reputation for being able to do? And how do I continue to add on to that so that I can now not just know that about myself, but help create opportunities for others to know that about me? And so it very much ties into another concept we talk about in the book, which is building your professional network. Because the whole point of expanding your brand and having your brand clear and, um, and relevant and resonant with yourself is so that other people can understand who you are and what you're about. So it's actually connecting those two dots because having a great professional brand that nobody's ever heard of is obviously a lot less constructive in the long term for your career, right? So we also talk about things that people don't tell you early enough, which is How do you expand your network? How do you get others to know you? Where do you get your name out? Inside your company, but over time, as appropriate, outside your company. And we feel like there are very pragmatic things you can do, like speaking and writing, if that's appropriate, like doing podcasts or getting interviewed, like um, establishing a few key external events and organizations that you're gonna take a leadership role in. If you're in retail like I am, the NRF, the National Retail Federation, it has local chapters you can start in, and then it has a national organization. If you get involved in that and you're in retail, other people in retail are going to get to know you. It's it's all of those pragmatic steps that we say you can link together to say, "I'm clarifying my brand," and I'm also taking the steps to get my brand out in the right places in the right way.
2: Yeah, and I, I the only thing I'd add to that is that you know it should be rooted in. Throughout your career, as you gain new capabilities, as you make new contributions, what is it that differentiates you? Because this is a very competitive field, no matter where you work, no matter what you do. It could be medical, it can be an academic, it can be in companies, it can be in consulting. The reality is it's a competitive field. And so you're thinking through how you establish your brand for something that differentiates you, something that people say, yeah, you know what? She's known for that. Um, And it can be technical expertise up to a point. And then it's probably the ability to think of those other skills, like influencing, like leading others, like change and transformation, whatever it is for you. So think about it that way. And then the other thing to think about is just guard. Guard against what we've all seen and we talk about in the book is don't become a shiny penny. Okay, don't become the person that's (laughs) over-indexes on over-indexes on every single speaking engagement I can do. And, you know, and you start to believe your own press releases and it's, you know, and your ego potentially could lean. If you do that, you're likely to take your eye off the ball, which is you're driving your career forward to reach your aspirations. And so, you know, you don't, you want to stay humble and hungry and grounded in how you build your brand within the right way and the right construct.
1: I love it, and I'm going to unpack a little bit about what with, what you both said because I think this is so important. So the shiny penny, as I understood it in the book, is sort of that it's that person who everyone perceives as being a superstar, but once you get to the heart of who they are and what they are actually able to do, they're all they're that shiny penny. They're all show and no substance. I think we've all worked with them or been uh, competing against somebody like that, where you're the person putting in the long hours, and the other person is maybe even getting the accolades. Um, I I loved what you said, Christiana, in terms of getting your name out there. And there's the specific ways you can do that and developing that professional brand. Um, I remember when I was in marketing and there I was 30 years old and my counterpart was 20 years older than me at the other major law firm. And we were there, I thought, to pitch the partners for speaking engagements. And I was like, okay, Bill can speak on this and Kathy can speak on this. And she was like, I can speak on this and this. And I remember taking a a step back and I was like, oh, that's interesting. She's pitching herself. And I wished I had her as my first boss maybe because I think I would have learned something. Um, She was known for substance, not shine. But she was using that opportunity to benefit herself. And she for sure was a superstar in her own way but I, it was important for me to to see that because it never even occurred to me that I could do that or should do that so going back i would tell my younger self go do that go do more of that um and then um grace you talked about you know finding what makes you special um does this relate to what you talked about as well in the book about this finding that personal trademark yes Okay, Absolutely. so how do Extra. we do that? Because I think people, especially women, yeah, talk about yours, space,
2: Talk uh, about yours, yeah. <laughs> My trademark, which one?
0: Just how you... I think you talked about what you stood for over time and how you yeah. got known.
2: Yeah, I, I think... Um, I mean, there's a thread, okay? When you look backwards and you say, gee, job, job industry, industry. You know, I, I definitely was known for delivering results, uh, transforming teams, building capability... Um, also um, establishing the relationships inside the company between the department and function that I led and the ones that we serviced, the business units. And so when you have those muscles and those skills, being able to be known for that allowed you to have broader and broader responsibility. So I grew up and um, mostly in the you know procurement arena of, of the function, but I ended up being the chief operating officer at PepsiCo running all of operations. It's because those skills didn't make me the expert on or the best expert only on operations and running plants and warehousing. It's because I had that capability to leverage the learning and the capability of the team and to be able to drive for results and transformation and capability. So, it's a, it's something you start early in your career and you, you, you go through experiences and jobs to cultivate. And then as you continue to contribute in bigger and bigger environments and arenas and scope, you start to become known for that type of capability that can be transferable.
1: Yeah. Is there any exercise or any questions or, you know, is it worth reaching out to peers or managers and saying, you know, what do you see that, sets me apart or any particular question because I do think women underestimate what they're good at and what comes easy to them oftentimes they discount as valuable
2: I think you'll know there's no there's oh we always encourage getting feedback from people but I also think you will know if you pay attention to the type of work you're being given and and the the conversations um within your company or your business environment people will it'll start to be commented you know you know, Christiana's excellent at this. She's great with the client. She's great with that. She's innovative. She's a brand, brand, you know, brand thinker. You'll start to hear the conversations that are actually more important than the formal reviews of what you've achieved. And those are the ones to cue. Yes. And you cue it to learn it and cultivate it more, not to just, you know, pat yourself on the back and say, oh, yeah, that was great.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, we do definitely say, again, to be strategic about this. Right, so so being strategic about it means thinking ahead. You may want to. You, it's pretty easy, as Grace said, and important to get feedback on what you currently stand for. What do people think about? What's my reputation inside the company? You ought to ask that. You ought to ask your peers. You ought to ask your managers. On top of that, though, think ahead and say, back to cardinal direction: Is this what I want to stand for? How mm-hmm. do I stay on top of this? Do I need to go and? Learn something that I don't know right now. Right. So, you know, for example, for me early on in my career, I was doing a lot of like process studies, which at McKinsey would be things like, you know, redesigning an HR process or redesigning a flow of goods or something like that. And not a lot with hard numbers and analytics. And next thing I knew, I was hearing from the partners, oh, we don't know if she can do hard quantitative work. So I said, okay, put staff me on a study where I have a chance to actually show you that. And I did this crazy regression analysis. It's because I said to myself, I want to, at that point, I absolutely wanted to be a partner of this consulting firm. That was still six years down the road for me. But I knew if I didn't get the reputation of being able to do quantitative heavy lifting, I would never be considered to lead teams across those kinds of problems, right? And so I knew that I got to fill this in, in my brand. And by the way, after that, That was part of my brand at McKinsey, without a doubt. Uh That's a very
2: important point she's bringing up because it comes with also a mind shift that says, if you know you've done or built all these capabilities and doing X, Y, and Z, try to step away from that and think about just exactly as she spoke about other areas that you haven't cultivated that are going to be even more important or open up more demand for you in your, in your, and go jump into those areas. Cause you've already done this. You already know how to do this stuff. And I think that's a very career forward um, example.
1: Yeah. And so much of job satisfaction can come from knowing that you can grow within an organization and you're not stuck that there's that evolution of responsibilities and roles and, you know, what you're bringing to the table and what you're learning, because if you're not learning, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, you're probably not very happy within your job. Uh,
0: It's absolutely right. And I think, Michelle, you also illustrate the point, which is, but by the way, how you apply the skills and capabilities you're getting known for can evolve over time, because you probably weren't born saying, I want to have a successful podcast. I want to be known for doing this, you know, it wasn't even an option back then, nobody even had that word or that way of expressing (laughs) the idea, right? But it draws on the fundamentals that you were already known for, that you already had built and capabilities in, right? Your network, your marketing skills, your ability to build a brand, to speak to people, to pull in from your network, interesting guests, all of those things I imagine. I mean, I'm not in your profession, but all of those things were already part of your brand. What you then said, as Grace noted, is I can actually take that in a different direction now because opportunity has opened up in this field. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's spot on. The career forward mindset is all about continued growth. And it's a realistic reflection of today and probably always that, you know, you can't stand still. If you stand still, gravity eventually pulls you down, right? You've got even just staying in orbit means that you've got to always have the burners on, so to speak, right? And you've got to keep moving. And if you've got that kind of internal hunger to continue to learn and grow, It's going to serve you well across all the phases of your career. You're never done is basically what we're saying. Absolutely. And I think
1: the women who listen to the show never really want to retire. There's some, there's, they need to be making a contribution in some way and learning and growing and um, yeah, they have that growth mindset. Talk to me about mindset because you both started the book with your early influences and how that shaped who you would become I wonder about this a lot because we do talk a lot on the show about mindset. It seems to me that it's critical. And I'm wondering if it was just a part of who you were though, because I also see a lot of people who are very successful had that sort of innate drive from the time they were young. It wasn't something it's not that I don't think you can cultivate it later. I think the more awareness you have, you can, but I've found that, the successful people that came on, they've had it pretty much their whole lives and you're both shaking your head. So talk to us about this.
0: Go ahead, Grace. Do you want to start? Oh, okay. So, you know, I always say I was the middle child of five. There was nothing about me as a child that would lead you to say, this is going to be a future C-suite executive. I mean, nothing. But I think you just made a really good point. I had an internal engine that was just revving all the time. And I was, I was aware early on about, uh, you know, things that were important and things that made a difference. And what I noticed came from the example of my mother, because she got married at 19. She had five kids by the time she was 30, but she went back to school when my youngest brother started kindergarten. And she ultimately got, and I mean, back to school, like starting her BA from scratch, night school, TV classes, everything. And she went all the way through to getting her PhD in clinical psychology and ultimately running a program for, for the County of San Diego in mental health. And she did all that over decades, right? These are not overnight success stories. And she never sat me down or my sister and said, girls, you know, this is what you, she just did it. And she, she showed me, first of all, that education was an unlock. And I, I didn't grow up in a family where people were like, education, education. I just saw it. I saw it from the choices that she made. And I also saw that you could change your destiny. You could change who you were and what you were doing steadily and and with focus over time. And as a kid growing up in San Diego, I realized pretty early on, I didn't wanna stay in San Diego. I didn't see what people were doing there. At the time it was a Navy town, an industrial town. I didn't see things there that I wanted to do. And so I was the first kid in my family to go away to college. I was the first kid in my family to move all the way across the coast to work in New York. And it was because I had a continued sense that I wanted a bigger life and I wanted to do more. But I think I coupled it with this awareness and looking and watching and seeing what do people I respect and admire do? What are they, how are they getting ahead? What is making a difference here? What do I like? It's that self-questioning all the time that, again, is really at the heart of the mindset we talk about in Career Forward. Love this so much, Grace.
2: It's hard to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> it's an amazing story. Turley. It's such an Chris amazing story. No, awesome
1: Turley. stories. So no, I, I loved both of your stories in the book. Yeah. I was like, I could see parts of I do. I see it. I see it so much. <laughs> I love that. The,
2: um, you know, it's, Um, I grew up as, as I talk about in the book and I, you know, first generation, you know, my parents came from Cuba. And there were real struggles. This is the typical $5 in your pocket starting over, you know, three small children. Um, and I watched my dad learn the language, work his way up in the corporation. And my mother, um, you know, more traditionally taking care of the children until she she took a, a job later. Um, but I also saw my aunt who lived with us for a while and she came and it's kind of funny. She was a, um, a, a back then in the day they called it a secretary. At Quaker Oats, actually. And she worked her way up, put herself through business school, and became incredibly successful in the banking industry. And I spent time with her as well in the summer. And when I think about the upbringing and I think about what it gave me from both the environments of both my parents and my aunt, it really gave me resiliency watching my parents. They were never ones uh, being Cuban Americans that were like um, at all feeling sorry for themselves. It was always based in. Faith, and it was based in uh, gratitude, uh, and it was based in a lot of hard work and getting through hard times. And so, resiliency has been something I always had since I was a little kid, and the courage to figure out and believe that I can do whatever I wanted to do. Um, and it was more from the drive of watching them, you know, do the same thing and, and be very successful in their life over the long term. For my aunt, though, it was intellectual food. <laughs> I loved watching her. she was she loved her job. She loved her job, she loved working. She used to say, "I can't wait to go back to work on Monday. She had a great marriage. Um, she had a lot of the things that opened my eyes to what you can have in life on that three sixty degree life and so the combination of those really gave me the foundation to decide to charter my own course and to be able to provide for my family while also being able to achieve things that gave me just a lot of um, satisfaction in my work life as well as my home life.
1: And so great. I thank you for sharing your stories. I think they're going to be meaningful for my audience. And we've covered a lot and there were other questions I wanted to ask, but I think I'm feeling called. You both talked about, um, and you said your aunt loved her work. You both love your work. You've loved your work. When I was in corporate, I loved my work. When I went on my own, it was because I needed to find more love for what I was doing. The founder had passed, things change, you you have to recalibrate and keep connecting to yourself. If there were sort of a rally cry for any woman listening out there who's in the corporate environment or whatever, what, what do you want her to, to really embody or know about, you know, either a mistake you see women making or something you want to just say, listen, pay attention to this because we it needs to get better for women it needs we need to be supporting one another uh there's opportunities for you and you know let's not limit ourselves don't be afraid to be ambitious i mean i'm just putting stuff out but you know take it for wherever you feel called to to go with this but um I, uh, you've already said so many good
0: things Michelle well i, I took those from your
1: those. book those are what you were talking about all of that in the book <laughs> no all one
0: <laughs> yeah we have it we you, there's so many good things in there. I, um, I'll i say one thing and then Grace, you say another. I think one of the things that Grace and I want everybody to know that we end the book on is it's worth it, which is we we are not pretending that life doesn't get hard. We are not pretending that there are some days that you don't want to go to work. I was just talking to a friend of mine. She's a CEO of a tech company going through a turnaround. And she has some days where she watches the garage door come up in her apartment building and she doesn't want to keep driving forward <laughs> to go out in the garage, right? We, yes. we all have those days. But as you just said, if you pull back, for the most part, we loved what we were doing. And what I think what we want to say to, to women is it is worth it. It may get hard. We want to give you some tools and some abilities to then take back your control so that if things got hard in a way that is not serving you, You have created some options for yourself to go someplace else. We always want you to feel like you've got options. We believe that you can do a lot to make that the case. And we want you to hang in there because it really is worth it. We look back now and we say, we like our lives. We like the contributions we've made to the places we've worked and the people that we've helped raise, frankly, both our own kids and and people that worked for us. And we like the ability we have now to contribute back. And we also like the fact that we're, we're, we're living where we want to live. We're doing what we want to do. And we're not, frankly, let's be honest, we're not worried about money, right? All of those are really good things. And it makes it worth it if you can, again, keep that longer view, but also recognize that you don't have to stay in a hard place if it is not working for you. We want to help you get yourself out of that if it's necessary. So that's mine. Grace, what do you think?
2: No, I think that it's worth it is something we do feel very strongly about. I think the other piece of advice I've given the context of that is um, just, you know, be be clear with yourself on, that, on what you're getting and what you want to achieve. Um, this is a long career. It's decades. When you look back decades, there's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. There's going to be times when you need to pivot. There's going to be, you know, exhilaration and achievement. It's just how how do you end your career or go through a career where you can actually say which we can it was really interesting you know it was intellectual food it was the ability to be part of of organizations and teams it was some really tough times that taught us things um so it all ends up manifesting itself in who you are as an individual and what you've done with your life And it starts when you start your career and it ends when you take that next stage of your career. Um, But it's worth it means live a full life and embrace the messiness and the good turns and the bad turns and realize that you're achieving the best version of what you were able to achieve for yourself and then take pride on that and end it in gratitude.
1: Love it. Yeah, gratitude is so important. Um, Anything I didn't ask either of you, though, you want to make sure that the women take away either from the book or the conversation? Um, Anything specific?
0: I think you've hit a lot of the really important points. We, we, we do have a concept that we talk about in the book that we've touched on, but well, I want women to know there's more on it. Which is this idea of the 360 life? So funny, I was. Which is say the idea thing. that that's funny, yeah, and I had it yeah. right well, here. Too, and what is living? It, I
1: have it too. Is the question we yeah, were getting into it. Yeah, so yes, and, I'm
0: glad you brought it up. And I'll just, so I'll just do the teaser. I'll just. Grace is really the one who named it and kind of gave us the concept. I'll do the teaser, and Grace yes. can add to it. But it, it's the idea that work-life balance is is illusory. Work-life balance is stale as a concept. Nobody got there. Nobody's working it out. And we all have a lot of angst about it. And so we wanted to come up with something else that really embraced the fullness of your life. So Grace, maybe you can just talk about why we picked that concept.
2: We feel very strongly about the concept because we think it's actually very relevant to where people are today and quite frankly, where we have all been. Um, It's really about not having a mindset of trade-offs and instead have a mindset of integration. How do you how do you make intentional choices of where you're at and what you're doing in any given day? And how do you think about your life as a whole? Looking at how do you end up with a satisfied life and a satisfied career as one outcome? And it's not things that work for you. It comes from ensuring that you're taking care of yourself and that you have enough um, self-care that you're able to take care of others. It comes from not feeling guilty about making choices and what needs your attention in any given day. And there's all these things that we talk about in the book, but at the end of the day, a 360 life means you're having a very full life. And when you embrace that, it's actually something that can give you energy versus take it away and feeling like it's a, um, you know, it's a trade-off or a deficit.
1: Love it. I I loved this conversation. I mean, everyone needs to go pick up a copy of the book, Career Forward. If you wanted people to find you or learn more about the book, where do you want me to direct them?
0: We have a website people can go to called careerforwardbook.com and that will tell you first of all where to get the book, although honestly it's available any place you would normally think of. yes um, but also where Grace and I are speaking and you know what are some of the other things that are going on in the career forward world so careerforwardbook.com
1: And is there anything you're looking forward to to collaborating together on moving forward?
0: <laughs> Do you have another thing in the to mix? This next- well, yeah, we could ask that. We we're what we're looking forward to, first of all, is, is getting the word out about Career Forward. And um, one of the things we're looking forward to is that as we do these speaking engagements and things, we're doing them together. And that's yeah. that's honestly the joy for us. Yeah.
1: So many beautiful takeaways from this conversation. But I have to say, I love um your connection. I think women feed off of this kind of connection and this ability to have that person that. You share so many things in common with who are really, really championing you. And also what a beautiful thing to be able to do, come together and collaborate on this book. And then it's taking you into podcasts, speaking engagements, who knows what's next, which is so exciting and fun. And that's part of it. I mean, this is part of what you're talking about when you put yourself out there and you're realizing there's the next phase of, your career journey, because this is the long game strategy. This isn't, you know, jumping to the next yeah. level of right of your job. So um, thank you. Thank you for writing the book for everything that you're doing for all the people who are going to pick up a copy. And the show notes will be over at thegoodlifecoach.com with all the links. It's actually on my podcast player. So when and your podcast player. So when you're looking, I'm telling my audience now because I'm realizing it's literally going to be right there. And you can click the link and easily find it. So Thank you. What a pleasure to spend the time with you today. Such a pleasure. Thank Thank you, you. Michelle.
0: Really enjoyed it. Best of luck with everything. Thank Thank you. you.
1: Thank you. Bye Bye Bye. 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 Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration This podcast is presented for entertainment and educational purposes only. Any information provided is not intended to be a substitute for medical, mental health, or other professional advice. Seek out your trusted healthcare provider or other qualified professional for all matters dealing with your health and well-being. Any
2: opinions or information provided by a guest are their own and not those of Michelle Lamoureux or the company.